This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Fish Untamed podcast, your home for fly fishing in the backcountry. This is episode 45 with Scott Rausch on pandemic trends in the outdoors. Do you just want to start by uh, giving me kind of a quick intro about uh, how you got your start in the outdoors and got connected with uh, CPW? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been with CPW now for, oh gosh, it's been 27 years. So um, I started um, right out of college and did some bighorn sheep research actually up in the around the Terryall Mountains and over in the Cottonwood Pass area over in that area and then uh, got on full-time was actually hired as uh, with Colorado State Parks so um, worked through the park system to where I am now as the deputy regional manager for the northeast region so I've worked mostly here along the front range um, I'm a native of Colorado so I spent a lot of times in the outdoors and everything but uh, it's one of those things as a kid you, you look at and you kind of know what you want to do and you go to school and that's what you do. So I, I don't know what's always the case, but for me, that's what it was. So, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. So, so what is uh, the, like, what are the responsibilities of the deputy regional manager? So the deputy regional manager of the Northeast region, um, we oversee all the parks here in the Northeast region. There's 15 parks, then all the, the wildlife areas, there's five wildlife areas and, and all those properties. So it's kind of a, it's based out of Denver and um, we do. And I also in charge of the trails, um, trails management. Um, in the Northeast region. So there's two deputy regional managers, and then we're underneath the regional manager here in the Northeast region. Okay. And I, I assume that's different from, uh, so that, that's basically all state state land stuff. So um, some of the more local parks and things wouldn't be included in that. Correct. It's all it's all Colorado Parks and Wildlife property that, that would be underneath us. Okay. And so what, what are the other, um, I guess, departments almost like if you're if you're mostly parks and trails and things um who deals with the like wildlife or or i guess what are the different divisions um within cpw like that 
Well, we, we have, we basically have two divisions within Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and, and that's our, our state parks and then our wildlife areas. And, and okay. obviously we're responsible for overseeing all the wildlife in the state too. So in management of that. Okay. So yeah, we can, we can kind of hop right in. I, mostly what I wanted to talk to you about today is um, like the trends you've seen uh, since the pandemic started, because I feel like this is something that a lot of people noticed uh, just in their own personal lives, like anecdotally. Mm-hmm. But um, I haven't gotten to talk to anybody yet who who might actually have data or statistics um, that kind of back those things up. So um, maybe we could just start with like a an overview, a 30,000 foot view of if there were any very distinct trends or patterns that you've noticed um, since the pandemic started. You know, I think the the biggest trend that we noticed is just the amount of people that were outdoors. And, and it's just people were home. Um, people were looking for things to do and getting outside. And, and if we look at our, our state parks, we're, you know, overrun with visitation um, after the pandemic started. And, and in the beginning, we, we didn't know how this was going to be. We didn't know what we were looking at, you know, and, and how would it affect us and how would it affect our license sales and what we saw. But, you know, the trends we saw, you know, a lot of people they wanted to get outside. They needed that break, which is great. And that's why we all live in Colorado anyway, that's to get outside and do things. And, and we were able to provide that. I think, you know, overall, that's really what we saw. We saw a, a real increase in, in fishing license sales, um, people getting out and wanting it and to go out and do something different, you know, and a lot of those new licenses, those are, those are new users. So um, when we look at that and, and it's a trend we saw, of people coming to the parks and just using trails, people getting into the wildlife areas, people getting out to go to fishing, you know, they were new users um, and people out using, you know, out in the lakes and stuff and, and buying, you know, kayaks and stand up paddle boarding was a big trend this year. And, and I think it was, I think I saw a statistic, it was up three, 300% for, wow. um, for inflatable stand up paddle boards, you know, and, and we saw it, we saw it on all of our areas and, you know, and, and there's a lot of users. So. Yeah, that's kind of what I noticed too, just um, my own personal experience, even things like more people out walking their dog and or just going for a walk in the sunshine to get out. Um, and that's that's separate from actually, you know, hunting, fishing, uh, skiing, things like that. Just people just wanting to be outside more. So yeah, that, that kind of makes sense with what you're saying that there were more license sales. Did, did you see a breakdown between um, like hunting, fishing and, and just park visitation? Was it, I, I would assume that more people probably would pick up fishing um, for the first time just because it's maybe a lower barrier to entry. But did you notice a difference between uh, some of the activities? Yeah, we did. And, and fishing was a big one that we saw. And if you look at fishing overall, you know, if you look at all the types of fishing licenses that we sell, um, we sold 200,000 more licenses in, wow. that, in those categories. You know, if you look at just annual licenses alone, which when you really look at annual new annual license, that's probably your newer users and stuff. And that was over a hundred thousand, just, just annual fishing licenses. So, I mean, that's where you, we really saw the big increase. And then um, with, with fishing and then people, you know, a lot of those people go into the parks too and fishing. And, you know, me personally, I, I spent a lot of time up in, in the mountains and I'm, I'm a big fisherman myself and, I, I went up to Terriol Reservoir and I spent a lot of time there over the years. And when I went there um, with my family and took them out, it it, it was so crowded. It, it was hard to find a spot on the shoreline, you know, we, you know, just to find a place to try to fish. And then I actually had my belly boat. And when you went out on the water, it's like, there was all the other users that you had, you know, you're a fisherman, they're trying to use it, but then you have the kayakers, you have the paddleboarders, you just, just added on top of that. So it was, it, it was a weekend and yeah, I, I know, myself being in this business that weekends are busy but um it, it was the busiest that i've ever seen it when i went out there that day so and, you know and that, and that was in the that was the middle of the summer so but there, you know it, there was a lot of people yeah for sure and normally taking a belly boat somewhere kind of 
isolates you. You, you kind of get away from the crowd. Even if there are crowds on shore, it's usually not too hard to get away from them in the mountains if you take your own boat. But uh, I can imagine, especially with things like kayaking and other um, kind of re- more recreational uses of water, people just, you, you know, you can only go so many places to, to get on the You need water. So uh, it kind of squeezes people into the same area, maybe, uh, who right. would normally be more spread out. And did, how about hunting? Did you notice uh, an increase in hunting as well, just not as big? There, there was increases in hunting and in, in like our license sales. We were, you know, we were really wondering what that would do. And, and just through the uh, application process, there was about 60,000 um, additional applications this year over last year for, for big game hunting. So um, there was an increase there, but I don't think you saw as big of increase. And I, and I was looking at some of the stats there and it looked like even um, when we looked at the over the counter licenses this year, they seem to be a little bit down of people coming and buying because I think it's that it's kind of that, that unknown you know, and, and the licensing, you know, they were related a little bit to, to the COVID and stuff, but you know, license sales and stuff and, and refunds were more related more to the fires this year, which, you know, with COVID and fires on top, um, it, it didn't do well for some of those places, but, but still we didn't have that many licenses turned in. You know, we had, we had some refunds and I think we processed about 13,000 refunds uh, for licenses this year. And on a normal year, you'd probably do about 5,000, five to 6,000. So, um, but, you know, a lot of those, I think there was like 1,500 or so of those were related to um, to COVID. And then there actually was more related to fires. So, Yeah, I would expect um, maybe, I mean, and this is just an assumption on my part, I would expect in-state uh, resident hunters to not maybe be as affected by COVID um, since hunting's a, you know, it's an outdoor activity that's kind of inherently uh, isolated from everything else. But I could see the out-of-staters um, maybe wanting to turn those tags back in and not not spend the money to come out here. Uh, especially with the dangers of traveling and things like that. Um, so I wonder if that contribute, contributed to it at all. Yeah, and we did see that. Um, and there, there was a, a higher increase in, in non-resident uh, um, turning in licenses for those reasons. And there was travel restrictions and the unknowns and in what people were going to do and that kind of thing too. So Now, is this the first year that you've done the refund system or has that always been a thing and I just didn't hear about it until everything blew up at once? No, they, they've done refunds in the past and there's reasons why we would do refunds and everything. And this year with, you know, with COVID and everything, they were actually doing refunds and, and you know, reinstating people's preference points and that kind of stuff too. So, so they were trying to make it as least impactful to people if it did actually impact with the COVID and, and fires also. So they were able to help out with doing that. So. Okay. Yeah. I wonder also if, um, you know, I, I don't know if you have the stats on this, but I could see another kind of uh, difference between the hunting and fishing licenses just being that uh, there might be people who are taking hunter education this year, but maybe couldn't find a a class. I assume that, you know, those probably filled up as well, since that's the first step, uh, especially if there's a lot of first time users, whereas a fishing license doesn't really require much other than a trip down to the store and you can walk out that day with your license. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And and the one thing we did in our our hunter education was affected this year, and uh, we actually um, put it online. Um, So, we did have online courses that people were able to do, which we didn't have in the past. And that was an effect of, you know, just having the COVID and not being able to gather and everything. And, um, you know, there's good and bad in that. We were able to get people their, their hunter education cards so they could, so they could apply for licenses in the springtime, which was a big issue when it's first started, you know, because people had classes. Um, so we were able to get to them licenses, but you, you lose that effect and, and having a, you know, a qualified uh, hunter education instructor being able, especially with the youth is where I really see it. And, you know, getting them out and, and having them handle a gun and actually take them out on that half day where they get to shoot the 22s and, you know, making sure they're safe and understanding it. It's different when you can do hands-on with, with online and, you know, we're all, we're all used to Zoom calls and everything now. So it's, it's a little bit different, but um, it is one thing that that was a shift that we had to make and that's still in place right now until we could, you know, get those programs back up and going. 
Now, is that still expected to kind of go back to normal? Once uh, once this is all over, will you be going back to uh, requiring a hands-on session as well? Um, I, I think it's something that's still being considered. Um, I, I would think that they would have those. And, and I, I really, you know, look at for our youth hunters and stuff like that. I think it's important um, when they're getting started. And, um, you know, we have some really good mentors out there and, you know, having those youth come in and, and having that hands-on is really important, I think. Now, with uh, the state parks and things specifically, I assume that you also have events there um, that are, you know, in person and in groups. Did you have to make changes there, or are most of the <laughs> events and things held at the parks kind of an open-air experience and, and weren't too affected? We, uh, the, the parks just saw a huge increase in people, um, and we, you know, once in a while, you know, your, your major holidays and stuff, our parks may have went to capacity, um, when people have, and we'd have to manage capacity in doing that. They were, when this, you know, after it started and everything, and uh, people really started getting outdoors, and the governor wanted, governor wanted people to stay home, but it was encouraging to get outdoors, which is good. We stayed open through the whole thing, but, I mean, we saw, you know, 30, 40% visitation increase at most of the parks, especially along the Front Range, where we were actually reaching capacity levels during the middle of the week, and we were running capacity on a daily basis for, for a while. Um, and people really coming out. We, we actually had to start shutting down some of the parking areas and doing things just to, so we can meet the protocols of, of you know, what CDPHE was putting out and, and how we were doing things and, and making sure we didn't have too many people just on the parks because we were starting to get large crowds, you know, at swim beaches and stuff like that. And we, we kind of had to start controlling that a little bit oh, um, sure. to, be able to control those crowds. And, it, it, you know, our, our visitation this year is way up, but, and that's throughout the state at state parks. So, um, it really increased, which, you know, it's good. People were able to get out, but we want to make sure that people were being safe also. So. Yeah, one thing that came to mind um, kind of right in the middle of it, and I'm not expecting you to make any sort of statement on, you know, what what was the right call to make or not the right call to make around like statewide mandates or anything. But I was kind of shocked to hear there was at one point that the mandate was that you should stay within 10 miles of home, um, but recreate outside safely. And I was just thinking that that's just going to cause everyone to pack into the same parks all within the front range. I know you mentioned that, especially in the front range, the visitation was up, but that's all I could think about when we were being encouraged to stay within 10 miles of home. And I was like, well, every park in Denver then is going to be, um, you know, packed to the brim with people because that's the only place they can go. Yeah. And, and it was, and, and there's no doubt about that. And, and I, and I agree with that. And, you know, and it was a lot of, you know, different counties were looking at it differently. It's like, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't want people right now. And, and right. I can totally understand where they were coming from and what their guidelines and what each county was different. And that was some of the things that we ran into. And so they did, and they came out, they came out in Denver and they were at their local parks and with, you know, the majority of the population right here in Denver, the metro area, um, you know, the Chatfield, the Cherry Creeks and the Boyd Lakes along the front range and even Pueblo down in the South, they, they all, they all got hit by a lot with a lot of people and a lot of visitation. Uh, one thing I wanted to um, kind of suss out, uh, both in park visitation and license sales, is uh, I feel like it might have been a bit of a double-edged sword, just in that a lot of you know a lot of revenue comes in from license sales, and I assume parks passes as well. But then you also have to look at the the negative effects of having too many people in the same place doing the same thing. Um, did you see any sort of uh, like positive or negative? Uh, impacts from more people recreating outside, especially kind of all in the same place? We did. Um, and what you really noticed in, in is talking with other folks with the counties and stuff and um, uh, along the Northern Front Range here and part of the NOCO, um, NOCO Places 2050, which is a group that's kind of a Rapphole Roosevelt National Forest, they Rapphole Roosevelt National Forest in Larimer County and Gilpin County and Clear Creek County um, and Boulder County really looking at trails and the effects you had on trails. You had so many people going to trailheads and so many people on the trails that it's just widened out the trails. And we saw that in our parks too. 
you know, just so many people. And then you're saying, okay, we well, got to stay six feet, you know, apart and people would pass the, you just kind of keep widening out those trails and that it really saw an impact on those and, and how that affected parking lots. And, and just with parks and our operations, you know, people coming there, we, we were, we were trying to meet all the CDPHE guidelines of, you know, making sure restaurants are clean and everything. Well, those are all operating costs that increase too. When you're, when you're cleaning them on a regular basis and you're going round and round with restrooms and just areas and trash and all that kind of stuff. So there's positives in terms of for us of revenue collection we did, we did see an increase in that um but you know on the operations side we, we have it on the same you know we we're spending more money there too and especially we had to hire more temporary people to help out with you know just the crowds that we had and, and trying to do capacity and trying to maintain what we had so yeah i i feel like it's you know it's hard to balance it's on one hand you know it's always considered a, a positive thing to get more people into the outdoors like especially hunting and fishing specifically because of the revenue that's brought in with the licenses um, but then you also hear about, especially now more people getting out outdoors all year long, you know, um, backcountry skiing, backcountry hunting, things like that. And the effects of, of more people being out there at times that they didn't used to be out there too, um, like middle of winter and, and way farther off trail than they normally would be. So I feel like it, it must be hard to kind of balance, you know, what's, what's a good amount of recruiting new people into the outdoors and, and creating people who care about the outdoors, um, but also having those people potentially have impacts that they wouldn't have had in the past. Yeah, no, yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and we really, and some of the stuff we've talked about is like carrying capacities and what we do within people and how they use areas and um, how do we, how do we maintain what we already have with our trail systems, with the use of the forest and things like that. And, you know, I've heard from other hunters, uh, there's a hunter up North that turkey hunts and, um, you know, he went out and, you know, place he usually turkey hunts in the morning and he was going to run hunt. It's pretty close to town, but it's a place he's always gone. But he went out there and there was people there already the whole day. You know, it just, it wasn't an area that for him to hunt, it, it wasn't feasible for him to do that anymore just because of the other uses that were on there. So, you know, we saw, we saw things like that and, and, and all the people that you go or hunters that they went up to go camping and they, they get to their spot where they usually would set up camp or whatever. And there would be a camper there, but they weren't hunted related. They were just people camping because they could. And I think we saw that shift with people and, and how they were doing things. And it was just more and more, and the more people we have start occupying the, the places closer to the front range, that's going to push more and more people farther into the backcountry. what you're talking about. And you're going to yeah. see more and more people that you went on that hunt to be isolated. And that's where I go. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait, now I'm all seeing all these people and they're not hunters. You know, they may be doing something different. They might just be out hiking and, you know, or just going out backpacking and camping, which they didn't normally do during those time frames when we hunted and that kind of thing. So those are some changes and shifts that I think we're seeing. That kind of makes me um, think of something else that I'm not sure if you'll know, but, um, is there any sort of uh, management or group that kind of uh, handles, uh, you know, d the interactions between different use groups? Because I'm sure that uh, you probably get complaints from people, especially in, like the hunter surveys and stuff, saying that, like, you know, there's just hikers everywhere now or bikers or whatever. And but those people have just as much right to be out there as anybody else. Um, and I, I know it's not really anyone's job to to fix people's conflicts for them. But um, is there any sort of need to uh, kind of mediate? conflicts between different user groups that all kind of feel entitled to the same resources? Yeah. And, you know, I think those come up and they're really, they're really land specific in terms of what land they're on and where, you know, whether it's forest service, whether it's a CPW property or state wildlife areas. Um, we, we have it there in state wildlife areas where paddle boarding and fishing and, and what is a state wildlife area really supposed to be used for is, is you know, it's fishing and hunting. Um, that's where the funds to, you know, to, to acquire those lands came from. And then you have people that want to do other recreation there. So there's a conflict. So we, as an agency of CPW, we, we actually, you know, do a lot of that on our lands and the same thing with the forest service. There's, there's also, um, 
organizations that's starting. There's there's some there's a regional um, partnership program that's being started, and they're looking at how that would work. And it's really looking at these groups of coming together, how you manage what I would say across the border. So you have groups coming in. You might have a like a no-co places where we have everybody in, in different agencies together and looking at how you manage those lands as a whole and and when we do planning and trails and connectivities and, and really looking at, well, how do we respect the, the corridors for wildlife? We're, you know, it's one agency saying we're going to put trails here and then we're trying to protect it on another side. But combining those all together and maybe looking at a little holistic um, approach to it. And, you know, that doesn't always go after the conflicts and stuff. But, you know, it's, it's kind of up to each agency and how we do things. And a lot of them come down for us in, in terms of it's a wildlife uh, conflict and stuff that we're going to respond and, and try to help with. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you brought up the state wildlife areas. Am I correct in thinking that um, there was a change made this year uh, where you either have to have a hunting fishing license or, or buy like a duck stamp or something to, to access those areas? Yeah, it was put in this place uh, in this year in the state wildlife areas. And it was, you know, it was related to the, to the use that was there and what was being done. And, and you do have to have a hunting fishing license or a hunting license or a fishing license to be able to be on those areas. Um, and, you know, it's really looking at what other recreation was out there. And, and it's, it's the first year for it. And they're, they're still kind of, they're really still looking at that and, and studying it and see how that looks. And I think there'd be some, some changes coming. There may be like a, a use pass that they're looking at that, you know, there's a lot of people that they don't want to buy a hunting fishing or a fishing license, but they want to use the area, whether that's a bird watcher or something like that. So they may look at another pass, but, um, and those, those are all affected on federal dollars on our, with the wildlife side about, you know, what money we get when we sell license and doing, and then that supports the upkeep of, of those properties. Yeah. Have you, um, and again, I don't, I'm asking you a lot of things. I'm not sure if you'll, if you'll know or not, but I at least got a survey recently in my email, mostly about the 285 corridor and the fact that that gets so um, busy, especially in the fall around Kenosha Pass area and asking if I'd be willing to like pay a permit to park or, or, you know, get a permit for certain trails or things like that, just because it's getting so crowded. Is that something that's um, kind of been in the works for a lot of areas? Uh, maybe having more people uh, pay to come in there just so it's generating revenue, but also kind of lowering the number of people at any given time just to, to help the area? Yeah, and I'm not familiar with the, the, the 285 survey that was sent out, but they, there's other places that we've looked at, and it really comes back to, you know, what is that capacity? And we look at um, uh, some of our state parks in terms of like even El Dorado Springs, uh, El Dorado Canyon State Park, um, and looking at how we, we have too many people going there and going through a town and, and what we're going to do there. And we started shuttle systems to bring people in. Uh, we're looking at maybe a reservation system coming in there. And, you know, there's different things that really have to be looked at. And I think what COVID did was it gave us that look, you know, it jumped us about 10 years about what we, what our visitation is going to be looking like. And, you know, it's something that we have to really look at and, and, and study to see what are our options? What do we need to do? And this isn't just, you know, this is parks, this is trailheads, this is, you know, every place that people are going because they're just overrun. The counties are dealing with this and Jeffco and Boulder. And, you know, it was, it was a busy time for all of them when you have, you know, the whole trailhead is full and then you have people parked down the roads and then it's causing safety issues. And then how do we get emergency vehicles in, you know, and things like that. So it's, it, it's all across the board right now. So do you happen to know if it, if there's been more of a positive or negative response to that? Because I know when I got that survey, as much as I don't like the idea of having to reserve um, a spot, I I think I voted favorably on most of those things saying, yeah, I'd be willing to reserve a day or two in advance if it means that when I get there, um, I'm not surrounded by a thousand other people and the area can stay pristine and, and maybe not find 
bags of dog poop every 10 feet, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so I could see maybe other people feeling that way, but then another group maybe being like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to get a day off. Uh, my schedule's kind of up in the air. I don't want to have to choose between um, being able to go outside, but having to reserve and not know if I can actually do it um, or having to just stay inside. Do you, do you know if there's been um, a positive or negative response to that? I, I think there's both. It's just about what you said right there. I mean, there, there's people that are totally in favor of it and they're, they're more than willing to, yes, if I can reserve that and I can be guaranteed I can go up there and have a parking space, I'm willing to do that. Um, then there's the other people on the other side who's like, well, I shouldn't have to do that. These are public lands. I should have access. I shouldn't have to to pay to go there. You know, right. you, you can understand both sides of it. It's a matter of how do you control it and what you can do? There's just too many people. Um, and it's really looking at all the options and, and looking at public. If you look at like Rocky Mountain National Park this year with their their timed entry and stuff, um, I've talked with some of those folks on that. And, you know, there's a lot of people, once they got in, they were really happy about it. You know, it, it did it accomplish what they needed. It, it did accomplish what they needed about, um, you know, kind of controlling people. They, they found some things that people still use in real popular areas and they still had issues of, you know, overuse in those areas during during the you know, when they were trying to limit things, but um, it, it's hard to, to do. And you have and really what you see is a lot of the, the local population really wants the access to it. The people that have to travel, they want to be guaranteed to be able to be there is what you see a lot. Yeah, that sounds pretty understandable. I could see um, me not view or me viewing a, a reservation system as not being a big deal when it's 20 minutes from my house, but um, having to reserve something that's hours away from me, I might not be sure what time or what day I'm going to get there, and you know potentially have a trip ruined because I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to follow through on whatever time I had planned to go um, or something like that. So I could see that being a, an issue. Yeah. When it comes to like the state wildlife areas, and I know you ha- you said that now you need a hunting or fishing license to get on there, and some people aren't super on board with that. Um, that's a little bit different than needing a reservation system because it sounds like you can basically buy the license and you're good for the year. But some people might not be comfortable supporting hunting or fishing if that's not, you know, especially if it's not one of their values, but also if that's not what they're using it for, they might want to contribute to what they are, are using it for. Is Do you know if there's any... Um, plan systems for, you know, you can buy a bird watching permit or a, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, a hiking permit or, or anything like that? Yeah, they, they are looking at, um, they're in the currently looking at that and coming up with uh, whether they'd have what's just a state wildlife access pass, um, and which would, you know, it'd be in that same type of um, a fee area. It's like if you bought a license and really related around that and what they're looking at. And that, that stuff that's, uh, that our, um, that our Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission is, is working with right now. We have a we have a group of AWMs and that are looking at that and other folks that are involved uh, trying to put that together. And, and it'll be another uh, a, another piece of that that was put together, you know. And, and right now with, with um, our state wildlife areas, we're really doing a lot of education about that right now. Just really, you know, letting people know that this is here and why it's there. And I think that that piece, you know, most people you explain to and what it is and they're and they're like, oh, okay, you know, and a lot of people don't know, you know, they just come yeah. and like, well, this is just open land, you know, because we go to open space, we go to parks, we do things, and you know, what's the difference? And there is a difference. And I think that's, you know, it's the education piece needs to be there also. So. Yeah, speaking of education, um, have you guys had to uh, make any sort of changes in terms of with so many more users out there, um, kind of providing that education? Because I know you said a lot of them are first time users, and I could see them, you know, being a little lost when they go out and not really sure where to where to begin um especially with like hunting or fishing that's maybe a little bit more complicated to get into than just starting hiking or camping or something like that uh do you have any plans or have you already started any sort of education programs to get first timers uh, into the outdoors it's something that's it's really been talked about a lot about and there, there are programs that are being put together for the first time 
you know, whether that is, and it's really in going back even to the manufacturers and being able to provide information when people buy things, you know, that's the start. And then, you know, where do I go from there? Where do I get from my information, you know, going to the website and planning a trip where I, I need to go. And, you know, the hunt planner that we have, you know, for hunting, like you say, you know, you got to be looking at a little bit more, but the camping and the fishing is like, I can go to the store, buy gear and I'm off and going. Um, we also saw that with paddle sports this year which was way up and people going out and paddle sporting, not really, you know, no one won. We had, you know, unfortunately this year was one of our highest years with fatalities on, on the water. Um, they, you know, some of that has contributed to those new users and going out and, and not really understanding that a uh, stand-up paddleboard is actually a vessel and you are required to have your life jacket and whistle and, you know, follow the rules that are there. And, and it just seems like, you know, you get on the water. And I, I think the other side of that, we saw a lot of people just using the areas, uh, that the swimming pools were closed. So, you know, here we have lakes, we can go out to the lakes and it's different, you know, if they haven't been there and if they haven't gone out to a lake and, you know, it's, it's not the same swimming. It's not the same thing. A lot of them don't allow swimming, but people may not know that they get out there and we, we've had some, you know, instances this year that, that didn't turn out so well. So um, yeah, there's still a lot of education. I think there's a lot more to do on that first time user. And we're really seeing that now. For sure. I don't, I don't know if this is data that um, CPW can even collect, but is, is there a way to tell how many people who bought hunting and fishing licenses this year actually use them or, or how many for fish in the case of like annual fishing licenses, how many um, days they were used? Because I, I could imagine there were a lot of people who, you know, especially for hunting, if you have to buy your license months in advance, might be hopeful about getting out and then they don't actually come around to it. So I don't know if there's any sort of like error known between license sales and actual users that made it outside. There is in terms of, uh, especially with hunting uh, licenses, because they do a lot of surveys, the after hunt surveys, um, and they, they'll send out a survey notices to um, through email addresses because everything's connected through email and then calling people and doing, I've done, I went hunting this year and I've had three different surveys that called me to, to do my survey of whether, you know, did you get out? Did you harvest? What did you do? How many days? Those exact type of data. On the fishing side, I, I don't I don't know that we have those right now. I'm not sure if there's a survey going on, on the fishing side. I, I, not one coming to mind right now, so, which would be interesting. Yeah, I got to say those surveys are either um, really nice to get or really depressing depending on how your season went. I think I got yeah. two or three this year and I was just <laughs> filling them all out like, nope, <laughs> nope, nope. Yeah, my, my, mine were pretty depressing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was on that side, so but I but I gave it a try and I gave my, my daughters to go out with me. So uh, we, we all gave it a try. So That's that, good. That, that counts for a lot just to get out. <laughs> yeah, I almost wish they'd send out a fishing survey just so I could be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I did have a pretty good year. All yeah. things considered. <laughs> <laughs> you got you to look for the positive. That's for sure. <laughs> now, now, in general, um, has has uh, Colorado been seeing? I'm, I'm sure. I mean, based on what I've heard, this is the case. But has has uh, have license sales been increasing in general over the past couple of years, uh, separate from COVID? Um, the last couple of years, yeah, license sales have gone up, gone up slightly in terms of where where we were at. Yeah, so you know that that increase, especially looking at like uh, more on the big game side, where we'd have most license sales had increased over the last couple of years. Okay. And is that, do you know if that's attributed to just more people coming to the state or kind of the increase in popularity of some of these uh, outdoor sports or maybe a combination of, of the two? I think it's a combination. What we've really saw is, a, is an increase in uh, bow hunting um, and people looking at bow hunting and doing things on that side and um, trying to uh, get a start, you know, and, and looking at that. And, and that's where we've seen that increase that, that, that I've heard about. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've talked to some people. Uh, personally, who expressed an interest for the first time this year in picking up hunting, and 
most of those I would say are more interested in bow hunting than rifle hunting, even though they've never hunted before. And yeah. I could, you know, as someone who grew up rifle hunting, uh, it was, it was definitely hard to transition to bow hunting from that. So I'm always impressed with the people who can go straight into bow hunting without kind of passing through that intermediate phase first. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. Doing, doing both myself, that, that's the same thing. And I, I can tell you, I'm much more successful with a rifle than I am with a bow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's probably the case across the board and unless people are only hunting with a bow and, and therefore yeah. kind of limiting themselves to that. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, kind of on a, a more positive note, just to kind of wrap things up, um, the last thing I wanted to talk about was just uh, like license sales in general and um, the revenue they generate. Do you happen to know like what um, what percentage of the, the revenue that uh, the state generates for wildlife conservation, habitat restoration, things like that come from license sales versus maybe like excise taxes on equipment and things like that? Like how what how much of a difference do license sales directly make? Uh, license sales are, I mean, they're huge. That, that's what funds our agency. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're a major portion of the revenue that we bring in um, to do that um, for all of our hunting sales that we have. Um, I, I don't have the exact numbers um, about, you know, what percentages were where. Okay. But, you know, the, if the license sales are the, the major part of, of what, what keeps the, the, wildlife portion, the wildlife side of our agency funded. And what are some of the other things that contribute to it apart from license sales? But then they have federal dollars that come in um, through the Dingle Johnson Act, and then um, there's the uh, oh man, I'm forgetting the other one right. Pittman now. Robertson, so, I and think. the Pittman Robertson. Thank you. Yes, um, both of those come in, and those are matching dollars for license sales, also. So oh, okay. those, that with the license sales are, are a major part of what where they come from. So the federal government just automatically matches whatever you make in license sales. Yeah, there there's a certain percentage that they match on, okay. on the license sales through that. Yeah. And how does uh, how does this money then get divvied up? If you happen to know, like, um, how do they decide? You know, we got this much. Is it fishing? Fishing licenses go toward fishing projects, and hunting licenses go toward wildlife, or is it a little bit more complicated than that? Who it, decides it, where the money goes? It, it's it's much more complicated than that, and that okay. money comes in, and, and it's through the whole budget and everything about where it's at, and, and it's really funding the whole agency. And because you have a lot of things on the backside, you have biologists, you have the hunting programs, you know, you have the state wildlife areas. There, there's a lot of factors. That that come in there you have the aquatics and and where that money goes now the 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 federal money goes directly to those two pots so that's where the, that's where it would fund to be so your, your fishing licenses and your dingle johnson is, is funding the the fishing and then the hunting license and the pitman robertson they're funding they're doing the wildlife side okay that makes sense well just to uh, finish up here i know you said uh, you mentioned earlier that you like getting up in the mountains and fishing uh any any specific species you like targeting or styles you like participating in well, I'm, uh, I, I like to get out and fly fish, and uh, I, I, I used to do a lot more, and, and I, I'm starting to get back into it, and I, I like to get my daughter into it, and my whole family actually fishes and loves to fish, and we do a lot of, we do a lot of fly and bubble on the lakes, and then uh, I get the fly rod out whenever I get a chance on the rivers, that's for sure, so. Nice. That's, that's funny you mentioned that, that you're trying to kind of get back into fly fishing, because I grew up with a spin rod and since have switched mostly to fly fishing, but I almost kind of want to get back into uh, the spin rod a little bit just because around here, like I'm, I'm in Lakewood. So we've got, you know, lakes near here that have walleye and stuff in them. And I feel like I'm missing out on a big chunk of the fishing opportunities down here if I'm limiting myself to a fly rod. So I've thought about kind of branching out and getting back into uh, spin fishing a little bit, or maybe try ice fishing for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I agree. We, we I was able to actually get out to East last year and then did some catfishing with my daughter and we caught some nice catfish. So that was, that was a lot of fun. You know, they're, they're definitely a good eating fish. So yeah, do you uh, are you down here with some of these local lakes around here? 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'm actually in the Lakewood area myself too. So oh, okay. I, I, I jump around down in that area also. So awesome. Well, Scott, I will. Uh, I'll let you get on with your evening, and because I know uh, you're probably you're probably coming toward the end of your workday here. But um, is there anywhere that people should reach out if they have any questions or maybe are thinking about getting into hunting or fishing for the first time and, and want to just get some more information? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, I think the best place to go is to our website. Um, just Colorado, you can just Google Colorado Parks and Wildlife and it'll take you to that website. And we just have a lot of information on there. There's a lot of contact information on there. Um, and then, you know, if you're local areas and things like that, you can reach out to the to region offices and then uh, you can reach out actually right to the uh, district wildlife managers if you're looking for that type of stuff too. So, um, yeah, the, the, the website has got all the information on there. All right, perfect. Well, Scott, I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll find some time soon to get outside and um, enjoy this nice weather we've been having. Hey, thanks, Katie. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, remember to head over to the website, fishuntamed.com, for all episodes, show notes, blog posts, everything else. Uh, if you've got a minute or two, leave a rating or review on iTunes. And if you're looking for me on social media, you can find me at Fish Untamed on Instagram or under my name, Katie Burgert on Go Wild. And that's all for this week, but I'll be back here in two weeks and I'll see you guys then. Bye, everybody. Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.